Hi everyone, this is David Wolf. I'm excited to get right into this week's episode of Beyond the Summit, but before we do that, I want to ask you for a little help supporting the show, and it costs absolutely nothing to you except 10 seconds of your time right now. If you could go into the podcast platform that you are listening to this episode on and rate the show with five stars, that would help spread the word and the incredible messages that our guests give to us each and every week. You can leave a comment or review of what you thought about previous episodes or wait to the end of the show and leave your review then. Now look, if you don't like the episode, when you're done, you can go ahead and change your rating as well. That's perfectly fine. But thanks so much again for listening to Beyond the Summit and supporting the podcast each and every week. In today's episode of Beyond the Summit, you're going to hear from Jillian Wintersmute. Jillian ingested a rare parasite back when she was just nine years old, and that led to her having Crohn's disease for the rest of her life. You're going to hear about her amazing battle through her entire teenage years, and now what she has done to overcome her challenges and go beyond the summit. Today, Jillian inspires people, she motivates people, and she helps people reach their dreams. Enjoy today's episode, and if you like it, Share it with other people who you feel need to be inspired by Jillian's message. Also, make sure you follow the show so that you can hear more inspirational stories just like Jillian. Thanks and enjoy. Welcome to Beyond the Summit, where we journey into the heart of human potential. I am your host, David Wolf. Here we will engage with extraordinary minds, unlock secrets of success, and discover what fuels happiness in our extraordinary guests. Prepare to be inspired to grow, and to see beyond your own summit. Oh, man. Uh, where do we want to start? I just had a uh, pick up the girls. My, my, I had a drop-off. I had to go to the high school. I had to drop off my older daughter for driving school. She's she's oh. starting her her in car, uh-huh. and and when I dropped her off, the other one jumped in and came home from from cross country, and then I got to go. As soon as we're done, I got to go back and go pick up the other one from driving, and then she's got to get back out there at three o'clock. This is just a great time of my life. I just I can't. I'm so excited that school is back in session tomorrow. Yeah, like, my daughter said, "Can we stop for breakfast?" Of course, I mean Starbucks. <laughs> Crazy expensive, and I got the the small cup of I don't even know what I got. And just whatever looked good. Yeah. And I called it small. And my daughter's like, it's called, what is it? Is it Vente is the small? I don't even I don't, know. I always say I small and then they correct me. Yeah. <laughs> Vente, Grande, and I don't remember the other one. And it's like you, the small one, you take like three sips out of it and you're done. I'm like, that was the biggest waste of six bucks. Yeah. Three three yeah. sips. I mean, <laughs> it's going to do that. It's better to have some alcohol content to it, you know? <laughs> so... All right, so um, I've already told this to Jillian that about, I don't know, six, seven weeks ago, I don't watch much YouTube videos anymore, okay. um, especially when it's it's paramotoring. It's, it feels like, it, in, in, even in the paramotoring community, it seems like so many less people are watching it than they did three years ago. And yeah. Jillian is a lead instructor at Aviator Paramotor, and... You know, three, four years ago, Aviator puts out a video. It's 10,000 people plus watching that video. Now it's three to 4,000. It's just gone down so much. Um, but for some crazy reason, you know, I, I, I'm subscribed to Aviator. Uh, Aviator Show is the name of the YouTube channel. And for some reason, I looked down and I'm, I woke up and I looked down and I see this video. I'm like, eh, I'll click on it. And it's the story of Jillian. And it really moved me and it really inspired me. And I'm, I actually watched it twice because you have such an incredible background story. Maybe you don't think it's incredible because you had to live through it. Yeah. So I see this video. I'm inspired. I'm moved by it. I'm excited by it. And it got me to, back to thinking like, my gosh, this is someone's story that should be told because even though she went through hell, it's going to inspire somebody else that's going through it, has gone through it, or will one day go through it. Okay. And there's something that you said in the video. You said, no one else knows what you are going through. And it really made me think about that because last week's episode was Todd, Todd mm -hmm. Scandrit. And 
He talked about being in the military and he talked about what he went through, which if you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to it because it's probably one of the best podcasts I'll ever do. And he mm-hmm. talked about the loss of his wife and his words were similar to yours. His words were nobody else fully appreciates what you're going through. And that's the hard part because no one else is there with you. So yeah. um, I'm going to let you talk about your story. First, first thing I wanted to ask you, okay, and, and I guess I'm kind of lingering around, what happened to Jillian? I'm building up the suspense, but you'll go ahead and talk about that in a second. Zero through nine years old. You're okay. a complete normal child, normal in the world of being that you're just like everybody else. Yeah. You're going outside, you're playing, you're getting your ice cream, right? Yeah. I... And what happens at age nine? So... When I was nine, I started getting like super bad stomach aches all of a sudden, like constantly throughout the day. Um, of course, my mom, you know, took me to the doctor and through some trial and error with the doctors, I was eventually um, sent to the hospital just on high concern for my uh, blood work. And they discovered that I had ingested a rare parasite from some sort of dirty water. Um And then while I was in the hospital for that parasite, they kind of noticed through all the tests um, that I had gotten done that there were like kind of warning signs of, um, you know, an underlying disease. Um, Initially, they knew it was an inflammatory bowel disease. And then a couple months later, it was uh, officially diagnosed with Crohn's disease at nine. So I guess you were living in New Jersey at this point. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so so word of caution to everybody, don't drink the water in New Jersey. <laughs> we have like speculations as to like what I drank because I was constantly either in the river or a pond. Um, but there were also some like issues going on with the water system in my school. And that's what my dad really thinks it was. He thinks that, you know, there was something with the water because So, like, a year or two after I was diagnosed, we were not allowed to drink the water at my school, like, from the water fountains or anything. Um, So, he thinks it's from my school. My mom thinks it was from some river that I was swimming in. Um, But we we don't know for sure. Okay. Can you talk about what Crohn's disease really is? (laughs) Yeah. Because I have an idea, but I'm not completely certain. So, I'd rather you give a good definition of what that is. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's an autoimmune disease, um, like kind of categorized under inflammatory bowel disease. Um, And basically, it's just uh, rooted around um, your intestines. And it's a really tricky disease because I get these, what they're called flares, where my intestines basically just um, flare up and get enlarged. Um, sometimes to the point where I can't like process any food or um, absorb any nutrients or anything like that. So it can be triggered by a lot of things, whether it be food you're eating or just in general, the disease is just angered by something. Sometimes it's just random. Um, but if you don't have the right treatment for it, it it acts up very often and you get a lot of flares. Um, but Essentially, with an autoimmune disease, there it's more than just, you know, attacking my gastrointestinal system. It's also attacking, you know, like I have chronic fatigue and I've had um, arthritis and psoriasis. And I used to get pneumonia and bronchitis like every single year. Um, so there's a lot, even though it's just Crohn's disease, it's like there's a whole other string of things that come along with it. You said this caused arthritis. As well, yeah, I was uh diagnosed with arthritis, I think when I was fifteen or sixteen years oh old. Gosh. yeah, this is something no fifteen sixteen year old should be having at this age. I know and this is all yeah. caused because of this parasite mm-hmm. do you I mean, do you still have effects of arthritis? Do you still have I the arthritis? Let me say that again. Do you still have the arthritis? I do, yeah, so. It's being pretty well maintained right now through the treatment that I'm on for Crohn's disease. Um, and I get that treatment once a month. 
And usually towards the end of that month, or if I'm really like a little bit late for my medication because it gets delivered to me, um, I'll start to, you know, get a little bit of arthritis flare up in my knees and my ankles, um, mostly. Is this something that you're going to have to have the rest of your life? These treatments? Most likely, yeah. Um, I'll definitely have Crohn's because there's no cure for that. Um, potentially down the line it is such a like temperamental disease that's different for every person that has it so finding a cure for it is very hard to do um but there's lots of treatments for it and um i'm actually on like the third my third kind of test run of treatments um because the first two i was on failed initially um so I'm on like the third medication that's like an overall treatment for Crohn's. Um, but it's kind of understood that like after a while, your body kind of gets used to that treatment and kind of it starts losing its effect and you'll have to move on to a new treatment. So I think they're constantly coming up with new treatments for Crohn's. Um, and hopefully down the line, if something were to happen with my treatment, I could just move on to another one that continues to work for me and keeps all of my other side effects like arthritis and psoriasis um from like popping up again right so yeah. i know in this video that i watched which is amazing and I, I invite everybody to go back and watch it, and i'll have a link in in the description as well but you talked about being having sickness and fatigue do you still have that now is that throughout the whole month or is that still close to the end so you still do have it um i definitely still experience chronic fatigue but again it's more towards the end of the month um when i'm getting closer to when i need my treatment yeah on the fifth episode of beyond the summit we heard from tim gaskins mm -hmm. and tim was talking you know i asked him and i said you know you were told you'd have two years left to live with your cancer you're now seven years in and i said what advice do you have for someone that's just finding out they have cancer and his words were, don't give up hope. There is always new technology and new research that's coming out mm -hmm. to cure some of these things. And Jillian, for you, do you keep that in your mindset to keep a positive attitude that there's going to be something else that's coming out? They're still working on it. <laughs> I really try to. I feel like in the past, I didn't have as hopeful of an outlook. Um, I was just kind of scared. Well, for the long time, I just couldn't get my disease under control. So I was just scared that that's how it was going to be for the rest of my life. Um, and then once I did have better control of it and got on a great treatment that works for me, um, I'm, I was pretty terrified that like somewhere down the, down the road, I would just be back in that same position of being constantly sick. Um, I would say nowadays I am like much more hopeful and um, continue to have a positive outlook and know that, you know, down the line, if my treatment starts to not work as well, I'll just do what I can to, you know, keep myself in a healthy position, whether it be, you know, with my um, diet and all that, and then just really continuing to look for treatments that work for me. I want to go back and um, get in the mindset of a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. Okay. And also, if you can help try to put us in the mindset of a parent of a nine year old, an 11 year old. Okay. So, what is this nine year old? This nine year old's got stomach aches. Mommy's saying, Oh, baby, it's just your tummy, but we'll go check it out. And then we find out it's something significantly bigger than just a tummy ache. All right. And two years later, you're having your first surgery. Uh, I think as a parent for me, I'm petrified for my child and I would give my life just to make them more comfortable. Yeah. Where are you in your set at nine or 11? And, and now, you know, looking back at your age, you're probably thinking, okay, this was a bigger deal than maybe what I envisioned it was, or maybe not. Never. Take us back to what you were back then and what your folks were thinking at those ages. Yeah. So when I was nine and I first started getting stomach aches, um, I was very much the kid that, like, if I was sick, I would either try to, like, 
push it down. Like I wanted to not be sick so bad that I would just kind of push through it and continue to try and live a normal life. Um, so I would go to school and get like these debilitating stomach aches and then still like go to, go to class, not really go to the nurse. Um, and then when we went to the doctor for the first time, I was literally told to just take Tums every time I ate. So, you know, that's my mom took the advice of the doctor and we went and bought a bottle of Tums and I tried just eating those every time I ate and had really no effect. Um, so we decided to go back to the doctor and see someone new. And after hearing my symptoms, she immediately wanted to do blood work. And that was like my first time really experiencing anything like that in like the medical field because I had been a perfectly healthy child. Um, so getting blood work done was like very scary to me. Um, thankfully I had an amazing doctor and, um, she did it and I was fine. And as soon as we got the results back, I remember it was like really late at night. Um, and my mom got the phone call and the doctor told her, you need to take her to the hospital right now. I think she has cancer. Um, which I immediately saw the panic on my mom's face. Of course. She was freaked out. Um, for me, I was think I was more so just in this state of I'm sick and in pain and I just want to get it over with that I wasn't necessarily super freaked out. I was just kind of in this state of, you know, fatigue. Um, so I would say I wasn't, I didn't think it was as big a deal as it was when I was that age for sure. Like looking back on it now, like if I were to have a nine-year-old kid that I was just told would could potentially have cancer like that'd be a huge deal um but for me I was just kind of like let me let's just get to the hospital and uh figure it out um we ended up going so we lived in New Jersey and we ended up going to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia so that's like an hour and a half two hour drive for us um so I remember I was just sleeping in the car not really aware of like what my parents were thinking I'm sure they were just freaked out that entire car ride um and then once we got to the hospital that's when things kind of settled in for me I had to get you know my first IV and be put through all these tests and there were constantly like a swarm of doctors and nurses in my room um so I think for me it was more just like anxiety inducing um I think that's probably where I started to get a ton of my anxiety from is just all these people all these like older people just constantly like like poking and prodding and talking about me while they're while I'm in the room with them not really understanding what's happening or what's going on um so that hospital visit again I don't remember thinking it was that huge of a deal I just kind of got through it um they were able to remove the parasite from me um and that was all good but then, you know, there were the warning signs of potential Crohn's disease, which, you know, the doctors weren't really including me in that conversation. They were more so talking to my parents about that. Um, so I'm sure my parents were just freaked out, not understanding re really what even Crohn's disease was um, and thinking that their kid just had a parasite that needed to get removed. And then, oh, no, now there is this underlying potential autoimmune disease that she could have. Um, so after I was let out of the hospital, again, I just tried to continue on living a normal life, like acting like I wasn't that sick when I was. Um, and I think with my parents, they were just trying to, you know, get through each doctor visit and, um, you know, make sure I was staying healthy and that we were figuring out what was actually going on. Um, I'm sure that was causing them a ton of anxiety and stress um but they also both have full-time jobs and two other kids so there was definitely a lot going on um and then down the road when I was 11 um I was basically just getting was having a flare-up every other week um so I was being constantly hospitalized um and then the doctors were eventually like okay we just need to keep her admitted and we're gonna have to do this surgery where we just remove that part of the intestine that keeps flaring up um so for me that was again not 
I don't remember being like super scared or stressed. I think I was just so fatigued and like fed up from the pain that I was like, okay, let's just have this surgery, get it over with, remove that part of me. And so I can continue on with life. Um, I remember for sure my parents were definitely very scared. Um, and yeah, just being in the like um, hospital room before the surgery, they were super freaked out. They would walk out with me as I was being, you know, wheeled into the surgery room. They walked as far as they could with me. Um, and I could just kind of see the terror on their faces as I was being wheeled away from them. Um, so it's kind of hard because you, you grow up kind of looking back on those moments um, and kind of makes you feel sort of like a burden in a way because you were so sick. Even though you had like no control over it or the situation at all, it's like, you put your parents through all that stress and all that worry and anxiety. And it just, like, for me, I, I felt the weight of that a lot. And it made me feel not only bad about being sick, but then bad about what how it was affecting my family and their lives as well. That's, that's a horrible burden to put on your shoulders. As a parent, there's nothing I wouldn't do for my children. I nothing. Know, yeah. There's no burden that great when it comes to health there's other things they do that's a burden but don't tell them i said that <laughs> uh in this case here you can't do you still feel that way now or was it just back then that you were this burden um i definitely feel it less now i did feel it up to the point of like when i was 20 that i think that was my last surgery was when i was 20 um and that when i really felt like a burden um but since then, I've done, like, a ton of work with, like, my mental health. Um, and that's helped me kind of step out of that that mindset and kind of take that weight off my shoulders and realize that, like, yes, my parents would do literally anything for me. They were constantly traveling all the way to Philadelphia, even with their full-time jobs, um, to be in the hospital with me every single night. Like, it's what they wanted to do. Um, and I know that. I shouldn't have felt like a burden, but I couldn't help but feel like I was just interrupting everyone's lives. And I just wanted to pretend like I wasn't going through as much as I was going through so that I continue, could continue living like what a normal childhood would be. Yeah. Now, I, I hope, I pray that you don't feel that burden because yeah. there, there's no such thing of that for a, there really, really mm -hmm. isn't. Okay. Really. It's just our responsibility. It's just, look, children are a gift from God. Yeah. And every, it, it's just a part of, hey, this is a responsibility that was placed on me and it's going to make me stronger moving forward. That's mm -hmm. as a parent how I would feel. And that's okay. It's not a yeah. burden. It's just, this is just like, it, it's a burden to say, hey, take me to Starbucks. Okay. This is not <laughs> the burden. Take yeah. care of my child. Yeah. All right. So I hope you don't feel that way. And it's, it's, just, it's sad that you did. It's not your fault. It, it's human nature. Yeah. I would understand why you yeah. would feel that way. And as people listen to this podcast, they may relate to that saying, yeah, I went through the same thing as Jillian did. And, and that's how I felt too. But no, it's not. You're not a mm -hmm. burden. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, health got worse as you went through 17, right? Was it yes. just more flare ups or was there more to it? Um, so when I was on like my second treatment, Crohn's so I was on an initial treatment and I had allergic reaction to it so I had to switch to another one and it was going well but my doctors decided to take me off another medication that I was on and in doing that I developed the arthritis and psoriasis because that medication was helping in combination with my main treatment to keep things like arthritis and psoriasis from popping up um, so they took me off that medication and then I just got super sick with arthritis and psoriasis. So they decided to take me off of that second treatment that I was on completely. Um, and in doing that, I was left on no treatment because they were still trying to figure out what to do next. Um, and in that time between getting off that second treatment and being put, in, being put on a new one, I just deteriorated very quickly and um 
very bad to the point where when they finally put me on this new treatment, it was all attacking this one very diseased spot in my intestines and leaving the rest of my body to just kind of feel the effects of an autoimmune disease. So I had, you know, arthritis, psoriasis, chronic fatigue. I couldn't, I could barely eat anything. Um, so over the span of, I want to say like six months, I was constantly sick. I was put on um, steroids, kind of as like a Band-Aid, um, which I is probably my least favorite thing in the whole span of my disease is being put on um, steroids because they just make you feel awful. Um, so eventually they took me off the steroids and then um, kind of had to start dealing with what was really happening at hand. So I got an ostomy, which I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it's basically where they take a part of your intestine and bring it to the surface of your stomach and then you have to wear a bag. Um, so I got that in like the fall of when I was 17 um, and they thought that that would kind of help things but it still wasn't so then in January of 2018 um, I was hospitalized for like a good two and a half month span and that's when I had that um, major surgery when I was 17 um, to remove a large part of my intestines um, and then after that, that's when I really started to kind of see improvement in my health. That treatment that I was on started to treat my whole body rather than just that one section. And then also having that ostomy gave my um, intestines some relief and some time to heal and uh, recover from everything that they just went through. That's great. So now it's just a matter of getting a treatment once a month. Yes. It's just down to that. Yep. It's great. Okay. From age 11 through 18. What percentage of the time in that seven years do you think you spent laying in a bed in the hospital? I would say like throughout a school year, I would probably probably be hospitalized for at least four or five weeks. Um, so I would miss like four to five weeks of school per year um, just through sporadic um, hospitalizations. Yeah, I think about what my four children at these ages now, so the youngest that I have is 13 right now, oldest is 20. And I think about the years that this is all really affecting you. And these are developmental ages, okay? There's so much going on socially, you're developing. Scholastically, you're developing. And it's time that you missed. And, you know, it's a couple questions here. One, do you feel like you missed out on a lot? because of all this. Two, how did kids at school treat you? Did you feel like you were being treated differently from everybody else? Mm. Um, I definitely feel like I missed out on a lot. I, I would say I tried my hardest to not let it overshine my life. I tried to just act like nothing was going on, um, which probably wasn't the best, but um, Anytime I wasn't in the hospital or homesick, I would just go to school and act like I don't have an autoimmune disease. And I would push myself probably too hard. I would, I still tried to do like all honors classes in high school and I would still try to play sports, even though, um, you know, some at some point I would just not have the energy or the stamina to keep up with those sports. Um, so, it definitely took me away from a lot. I think that I could have pursued a lot more academically or even in the sports field if I hadn't had Crohn's. Um, and I definitely, it affect, it didn't affect my friendships too much because, again, I just never really talked about it with my friends. And if I was ever hospitalized, if I wasn't talking about it, no one really wanted to ask me about it. It was kind of like those things, one of those things where like, people don't know what's going on and they don't want to ask about it because it's uncomfortable and weird. Um, so no one really talked to me about it. So I never didn't feel like I was being treated differently necessarily um, because I never let it be known that anything was really going on. Um, of course, like it, it was probably weird for the kids around me that I would just disappear for weeks um, and then come back to school and act like nothing happened. But again, no one, no one would bring it up to me um 
And I always had like amazing teachers that would just, you know, help me get caught up on work and and work with me privately to to keep me um, up with the curriculum and in line with all my peers. Um, so I did feel like I missed out on a lot, but I did still try to like live um, just like how all my other peers were as hard as I could. I know you had mentioned before that you felt like this isolated you from friends and peers. But mm-hmm. it sounds like they were still warming and inviting into you. How did it isolate you? It isolated me in the sense that I did have like this whole other part of my life that I wasn't sharing with anyone and no one was asking me about. So I was experiencing all of these traumatic, painful um, events and then just going back to school and acting like nothing was happening. And I would be in class like suffering from a great deal of pain. And just trying to pretend like I wasn't in any pain at all. So it was isolating in the sense that no one really knew what I was going through. But also I wasn't really sharing with anyone what I was going through. Um, So I just felt like the people that I had shared it with previously. Like I had told, uh, of course, my best friends and all that. But they really can't understand because they're not going through it. Um, So I felt like when I told people about it and they didn't understand, that felt even more isolating to me. Because they wouldn't, you know, ask how I was doing or, you know, be able to sympathize with me. So I just felt more alone in that sense. So then I just kind of stopped telling anyone at all. Wow. Yeah, it's like we said right at the beginning, no one else knows what I'm going through. They can't understand it. How could they understand it? And for you to say that you had severe anxiety, severe depression, how how could anybody say that's anything but normal for your situation? I mean, I couldn't imagine having been dealt this 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 hand and not having severe anxiety and depression. So good for you for for living through it. You know, I'm sure there's times that other people might have thought, I don't want to live through this anymore. This is too much for me. Take mm-hmm. this burden off me, whatever that means. But yeah. you made it through and that's phenomenal. Okay. I guess the people that really understood it the best were your family, your mm-hmm. mom, your dad, your siblings. What type of support did you get from them? Um, my parents were like they went above and beyond to constantly be with me in the hospital and um do what they could to make sure, you know, I was the best that I could be. If I was homesick, they would, you know, arrange for grandparents to come over while they were at work or they would just take countless days off to, you know, do the two hour drive into Philadelphia just for like a half hour appointment with my doctor and then drive all the way home. Um, and at points when I was really sick, my mom was really good at like doing like coming up with fun little crafts and games in the hospital to try to keep my spirits up. Um, and my dad would always bring board games to the hospital and um again just try to try to keep me in good spirits as best they could my siblings i know it was um hard on them as well to you know have their sibling constantly being hospitalized but they also are you know living their own lives and trying to get through their own um struggles and going to school and sports and all that and having you know my parents constantly needing to go spend every night in the hospital with me um but even so they were just still as supportive always doing what they could to keep me in good spirits and um be there when I needed them so I would say my family like definitely my number one blessing in life is is my family they're just so amazing and I'm really grateful for them it's awesome mm-hmm. I want to ask you this and this may be the most difficult question I I can ask you, and this may be the most difficult answer you can give. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before I ask this, I want to preface this with this. There are times when my children are going through tough times and, you know, looking from a person that's been there and done that at my age, I'll tell my children, this is temporary. This is a small little percentage in years of your big picture age. So this too will pass. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, I get it from a, a young person's 
point of view, it's their whole life. And for me, it's just a fragment of life. And so Mm -hmm. it seems so much bigger to them than it does to me. Okay. You have talked about missed opportunities. And I think about what my kids have gone through, through the ages of 11 through 18. Dances, sports, going to sporting events, hanging out with friends, things like that. What are some of the missed opportunities that you had that you wish you would have had? Um, I would say I was so, so when I was little, um, like before I was really sick, I played a different sport every season. So I played soccer, basketball, softball, tennis, um, and I just loved running around outside um and just kind of being in that world of you know you're just focused on that sport and that's all you have to focus on so when I started to get more sick and I lost that stamina and energy it really kind of broke my heart in a sense that I wasn't able to keep up with my peers and perform as well as I normally could so I tried to play softball my freshman year of high school and even in that, even though like everyone made the freshman team, um, I still felt like I was just there because everyone made it. Um, I did feel like I had good skills, um, but I just didn't have the stamina and the energy to be constantly playing. Um, so I do feel like I could have really enjoyed pursuing a sport more full time in high school um, and maybe beyond that. Um, and then also, uh, my senior year of high school specifically, I only went to my first day of school. And then after that, I was so sick that I didn't go back. Um, And I had signed up for AP classes and honors classes um, that I feel like really could have benefited me in terms of school after high school. Um, I managed to get like all of my credits done in the three months of the end of the school year, I did everything online and just got through with it so that I could graduate on time. And then I say the biggest missed opportunity was what happens after high school. So like going to college, I had not even thought about what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go because I was so focused on like getting through each day just to get through it because I was in so much pain and so sick. I was just like, I can't even focus on my future because I'm like kind of in survival mode, just focusing on each day individually. So I had no idea what I wanted to do, where I might want to go to school. I couldn't even, didn't even have time to go visit colleges or do any of that. So once I graduated high school, all my peers were going off to college. And so I just kind of put myself into community college so that I was kind of doing what everyone else was doing, which I don't regret now because I do feel like community college was the right move for me to still be like at home and recovering from everything that I just went through. Um, But I do feel like I kind of missed out on the opportunity of going to a four-year school and, and kind of experiencing what all everyone my own age was experiencing. Um, Once I graduated community college, I still, at that point, was dealing with all of that anxiety and depression that I talked about because previously I had just been ignoring it and pretending like, you know, I was just more so focusing on my disease. And then once I was healthy, that's when I started dealing with the anxiety and depression that was at hand. Um, So once I graduated community college, I was still like, I don't know what to do. I'm so lost. Um, So then taking that gap year off is what kind of led me down the route to paramotors and then kind of led me on a whole different direction in life. So even though I did have missed opportunities, um, I'm not mad with the outcome. I feel like I still, I love my life and I've found who I am. So even with the path that I was led down, I feel like, I mean, I can't even imagine where I would be in another scenario, but where I am now, I'm very happy with. So 
You just said who I am, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Um, How about that for a question? Many... That's a heck of a question. <laughs> who are you? Hard question. How do you define yourself? I would say that if I'm comparing myself to who I was when I was depressed and anxious, and I was just constantly thinking no, that. No, that's not, that's not my question. I'm, I'm going to cut you off. Let okay. me rephrase my question. <laughs> if somebody, someone else said, who is Jillian Wintermute? How would they define you? Who would they say you are? That is a hard question. Like in speaking about like what, like my personality is like, or. Let me answer this question for you from my point of view. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Prior to seeing this video, which is your video was really responsible for this whole podcast, not just this episode, but me being inspired by you, by your story to share your story and other people's story in similar situations or in, in just their, their own experiences and their success stories. Cause I believe you are a success story, which is why you're sitting here in front of me. Okay. Okay. Had I never seen that. I would never know any of this about you, which means your identity to me has nothing to do with Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with anything you went through from age nine and beyond. Mm -hmm. To me, Jillian is a strong woman. She is a lead trainer at Pyramotor. She inspires other people. She lives life because I understand you like to travel as well. Yes. And like other crazy people, you like to live out of the back of a van. So <laughs> there's that too. Your identity has nothing to do with your health issues. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. how I define you. Yeah. Okay. Do you identify your life with all of your medical background? I don't anymore. No. I Good. would say like, that's what my I initial, hope. My initial thought when you ask me who I am is that I'm just full of life now. Um, And when I think about like saying, oh, I am who I am now, I compare that mostly to my past and how I wasn't full of life, but I knew that deep down I was supposed to be, like there was supposed to be this like energy flowing out of me that it was just kind of blocked inside of me. So I would say now, I'm much more myself because I'm able to let this energy of life kind of flow out of me and um, lead onto other people, hopefully. And that's exactly what Sandy Gaskins, who is on episode six of Beyond the Summit, what she said about you when we talked. (laughs) So that's wonderful that you're recognizing that that's how other people recognize you as well. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. In previous episode, I talked with Todd Scandretta, mentioned him earlier. Todd is the founder and president of Resurgence PPG, where we get adaptive veterans, uh, all who have PTSD, we get them their training, their lodging, their travel, and their food during training, all paid for. And I've mentioned this before, that when I've gone to watch some of them do their training, and I sit and I talk with them. Uh, after hours, we talk about their flying. They all say something similar, which is when I'm up there, I totally even forget that I have PTSD. So paramotoring came into your life. We'll talk briefly about that here, where we can talk about it now. When you're up there, is it similar for you that you even forget all of the crap that your body has had to endure? Yes, absolutely. Um, I say that I always tell people who ask me why I love loving or why I love flying um it's because it's like my form of therapy like I just get to go up there and be up there and not think about everything that's that I'm dealing with down on the ground um you have to be fully immersed in the flying whether it be you know just flying the glider and the motor um but also like being immersed in the landscape around you and the na- the nature that you're flying amongst amongst so absolutely i just 
kind of step away from life on the ground when I'm up in the air, and that's why I love it, love it so much. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. Uh, being on the ground, watching you be on the ground, helping other people make their dreams come true. And I, I remember from that video, uh, a gentleman landing and just freaking out. And you're just freaking out because he made such a good flight and <laughs> such a good landing. I mean, how much life and energy does that give you when you get to help someone see their dreams and help them to live out their dreams? Yeah, so much. I love first flight day is it's always a little uh, scary, but also like, oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. And any anytime someone lands from their first flight, I feel like I just landed from my own first flight and get like the same kind of butterflies and and rush of adrenaline. And it's so fun to kind of experience that with someone experiencing it for the first time um so i absolutely love teaching people how to fly and um just feeling their energy that they like everyone's like a new person when they land from their first flight and they just like emit this um beautiful energy off them when they land and i love to experience that yeah because you enjoy this so much, it may be hard to look five years, 10 years down the road, but where do you see your life mm -hmm. in five to 10 years down the road? Do you still think you'll be at this school teaching? Have you thought about, man, I'd love to open up my own operation one day or do something completely different? Where do you, where do you see yourself? Um, I don't know at the moment. So I know right now I love instructing at Aviator. Um, and from everything that I've been through, it's so nice having like a stable position right now, like being in a stable spot, loving the thing I'm doing and being happy. But I do think down the road, I don't want to be in Florida forever because I'm not the biggest Florida fan. It's very flat and hot. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I also have to think about the fact that I do have this disease and I need like good health insurance to uh to continue being able to get all my treatments um so i have to think about that a little bit but right now i'm happy where i am i definitely don't think i'll be here forever and i don't know what that necessarily means yet i think i'm i have a lot of different hobbies um and passions i could see myself potentially pursuing down the road but so right now i'm very happy where i am Outside of flying, what are your hobbies that you enjoy the most? Um, I really enjoy photography a lot. Um, so if I were to pursue something else, I could see myself potentially pursuing that. Um, and obviously, I love traveling. So um, having some sort of job that could allow me to travel full time would be amazing. Um, I would say mostly... Uh, I'm trying to think of other hobbies. I really love playing guitar and I love to read and write so I could see myself doing something with writing, maybe. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Nice. All mm -hmm. right, last question for you. And then you're done. You made it through. <laughs> last <laughs> question is this. You can go, I want you to take a moment. I want you to talk to a nine-year-old child and her parents or his parents, whether it's with Crohn's disease or another debilitating disease or challenge in their life, what words of hope and inspiration do you give them? Thinking about talking to my younger self was probably easy because I could just say, you know, everything's going to be okay. Like, I know you're going to have to endure all this pain and all this struggle, but at the end of the day, you're going to make it through it and you're going to be okay and you're going to be better than you can ever imagine um talking to a little kid where you don't know what they're going to experience and what their you know kind of end story is going to be um i would just tell that child to not lose hope as hard as they could just not to lose um, the feeling that one day they're going to be okay. Um, and as best as they could, try to keep 
people and things in their life that fill them with joy. So even though you're dealing with this major disease or, you know, this whatever you're going through, try to keep try to find through that what you love and what brings you joy and continue to pursue those things. Even if they're little, even if it's something like playing an instrument or, you know, coloring, like coloring books or reading or something. Find something that find little things that you can do throughout your day that bring you joy and keep you yourself because you need those things to not let what you're going through overshine who you are um, on your own apart from what you're going through would be my main advice. That's awesome. You know, Jillian, when I'm recording a podcast with someone, I, I don't know what I'm going to title the podcast. And then something sparks by what my guest says. And like, that's it right there. And so the title of this will be Never Lose Hope. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) So I want to thank you for being my guest today and putting hope into people's lives when they feel like they don't have any hope to look forward to or any faith that they can keep because of such a challenge in their lives. You are living proof that you can move past that, that you can keep going, that you never lose hope, and there's better days ahead. So thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for being a success. Thank you for climbing a mountain, getting to the top, because I'm sure you felt like at times now I've climbed this mountain. I've gotten to the top of this summit, and now I'm mm-hmm. looking where? Beyond the summit, to the next mm-hmm. summit, and the next summit, yeah. and the next summit. So I thank you so much for not just inspiring all of the listeners out there, but as I told you earlier, thank you for inspiring me, even though when you didn't even know who I was, but you inspired me to do this and hopefully reach a lot more people and just keep that, that trickling effect going. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. I also want to thank all of our listeners out there who continue to listen week in, week out. And uh, if you ever want to uh, reach out to Jillian and get some paramotoring training, you can do that at Aviator PPG. So thank mm-hmm. you, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, this is David. Just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please go ahead and give this episode a five-star rating. Also, leave a review or any questions you might have for the guests and I'll make sure they get it. Thanks again so much for listening and we'll see you again next week on Beyond the Summit.